Hey, how's it going? What's up? What did you have for lunch today, Brock? What did I have? I went to Cetabello for lunch today. Uh, oh, really? I, you know, that's one of those places <sighs> that I have heard. Uh, many people say, oh, great, great pizza, but I've actually never been there. Does it live up to the hype? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I went to the one. There's a new one, a second location on the west side of town, uh, kind of near the Summerlin area, I guess you could say. And that just opened, I think, last fall. Uh, the original is out in Green Valley. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's great. Every time I go there, I feel like that's my favorite pizza in town. But then that's kind of wherever I had pizza last. <laughs> it's kind of my favorite. So, are, are, do you? I know that you know, especially people that write about food. They, they, um, in some cases, like restaurant managers or owners or. Um, you know, waiters sometimes will recognize them and treat them differently. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, uh, not not a lot. Um, but yeah, and and there's there's places mostly off strip places in the neighborhood that I just go to a lot because I just go there to eat a lot, not necessarily a, a research type of thing. Uh, so it's those kind of places that I get recognized more often. But I'm pretty. Uh, I'm fairly anonymous. I can I can move around strip casinos for the most part without being made. Yeah, you don't wear like a ridiculous <laughs> white suit. <laughs> I don't wear a white suit uh, ever. <laughs> I don't I don't have a uh, uh, multicolored mohawk. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. It's not it's not that tough to uh, to be quiet if you want to be. We um, did, you ever, did you ever think about doing some kind of shtick just to try it out? You know, maybe a uh, Spinning um, bow tie or something, just to <laughs> announce yourself. I don't know. Do you know where I can get a spinning bow tie? No, um, <laughs> no, not really. Uh, my background, you know, I've been a, I've been a semi-respectable journalist for a while, and uh, writing about different Vegas topics here in town for a number of years. So, uh, I've kind of been resistant to the whole, not, not because I'm virtuous, but <laughs> just because it doesn't suit me. I've kind of been a little bit resistant to the, uh, you know, creating, creating yourself as a personality or, or trying to brand yourself. I, not to, not to disparage anyone who does that right. because, uh, there's opportunities to be had. It's just not, uh, not my thing. So this is probably a good opportunity for us to uh, introduce you to the audience so that they know who you're talking to. Um, uh, Brock Radke, you write for um, Las Vegas Weekly, I know. Uh, are, do you also do some writing for other uh, other parts of the Greenspun Media Empire, or is that your, your main gig? I do. I'm food editor for Las Vegas Weekly, um, and my stuff does show up in other – uh, GMG publications like Las Vegas Magazine, which is the tourist-oriented magazine, and also uh, Vegas Magazine, which is—I mean, I don't know how to describe Vegas Magazine. It's a big, glossy, right? What fireball about, of uh, fun. And uh, <laughs> the write about uh, best pizza for for the Monday, or, or is it, oh, the, so the Sunday is the the, the, the new one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if my stuff's going to be in the Sunday yet. It's it's so new uh, that. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll grab me for some food content eventually. How long have you been uh, been with the Weekly and doing doing that? <clears throat> I've been a full time staff member at Las Vegas Weekly for almost two years. Prior to that, I did a lot of freelance stuff for them, mostly food stuff, for probably three years. 
And you have you always been in Vegas? Are you a rare native, or did you uh, import yourself from somewhere else? Uh, I imported myself. I was born in Eugene, Oregon, and my family moved to Las Vegas in 1987 mm. when I was 10 years old. So uh, I'm I'm not a native, but uh, that's I've pretty been close. Here, been here long enough to fool most most everyone. If you if you predate the Mirage's opening, you can pretty much say you were born there. I think that's that's my. That's my standard too. I agree. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, so I was—I've actually had you on a on a list. Uh, a sh- I have a ver- I keep a very short list of people that I would like to have on the show, um, and you've been on my list for a long time because uh, you know I've I've been reading what you've been writing and I follow you on Twitter, um, and uh, I'm really happy that you were willing to come on today. And, and we don't have a real <coughs> formal set of it's not like a interview type thing. We just want to sort of rap about food a little bit and talk about, you know, what you see happening and you're probably significantly more plugged into the food stuff than, than we are. Um, so I'm just curious to run through some of these things and, and see what you think. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess, you know, since we've been talking a lot about downtown, uh, it's come up a lot on the show, especially uh, over the past couple of years as, you know, it's resurged to at least some degree. Uh you know, what, what's your thoughts on how things are going downtown food-wise? Uh, we've seen some new restaurants come in. Is it, uh, is it picking up steam? Is it, is it living up to expectations? I mean, what's your general vibe on the downtown food situation? Um, you know, a lot of stuff is happening down there. We've, we've, uh, Las Vegas Weekly has certainly devoted a lot of uh, space to covering downtown developments of various kinds. And food-wise, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff happening. Um, I don't know what the expectations are. I think downtown food expectations might be kind of low. I've actually worked downtown for a number of years before I uh, joined the Greenspun group and, and started making the trek out to Green Valley every day. But prior to that, I worked for the Review Journal uh, company and, and really made most of my time downtown. And I used to go eat at casinos down there on Fremont Street and uh, – you know, sit at cafe counters before uh, before it was cool to do so. So I know that there haven't been a lot of good restaurants there for some time, definitely relative to the Strip. Um, and it's exciting to see the new stuff that's popping up down there. There just hasn't been a lot of good stuff. Yeah, you know, there's still there's still a lot to be done. Do there. you? But, I mean, people are people are obviously <clears throat> casino operators are obviously putting a lot more money into downtown. Um, but is it really, I mean, you sort of touched on this. Do you think it's destined to compete with this trip or should it even try? Uh, restaurant wise, no, no, it shouldn't try. It's not destined to, I mean, not, nothing can compete with the strip in terms of dining. Um, it's such a unique stretch of, yeah. uh, space, but, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, it's, to me, it's not living up. To me, downtown restaurants are not living up to all the hype. Yeah. And just downtown in general. There are, there are some spots down there that I like a lot. Uh, I really like Pizza Rock. Yeah. Uh, just opened last year uh, across from downtown Grand. Um, just really good food. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird environment. It's not, a, it's not a foodie type of restaurant. You know, It's kind of a your, your regular bar and grill atmosphere. Yeah, but uh, but the pizza is really good. I I really like the Andiamo mm-hmm. Steakhouse at the D. I think that place is still 
kind of an uncovered gem. Um, and then in terms of where all the kids are going over on East Fremont, I still like Latai quite a bit. And uh, Eat on Carson and 7th is, uh, right, right. is a great breakfast spot. I mean, you saw places like the Plaza trying to do the Oscar Steakhouse, which, I, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still there. So I guess it's doing okay. But I don't get the sense it really has blown the doors off of anything. And, you know, like the Nugget has a bunch of restaurants, which, I, you know, I don't hear people complaining about. And then they're switching a couple of them out. But I also don't hear people really raving about them. Um, they seem sort of like semi-standard casino fare of a certain economic disposition more than anything super creative. I mean, are there big standouts in some of those Fremont places that I'm not thinking of? I mean, I think of places like Andiamo and maybe I know some people really like Hugo's Cellar. Um, Hugo's Cellar, yeah. I don't know if it's one of those places that's coasting on its reputation or whether it actually deserves people talking about it still. Um, I don't know. I haven't been to Hugo's Cellar in, in quite a while. Um, but I think that's the kind of place that can hopefully survive just based on the ambiance and the atmosphere and, and, uh, people going there for kind of nostalgic reasons. Um, probably not really for food reasons. Um, um, the nugget, the nuggets kind of like food wise, the nuggets kind of like a station casino, like everything is solid there and they have a, right. a, a much, uh, a greater variety of restaurants than the other Fremont Street casinos, but uh, outside of the the steakhouse there, uh, Vic and Anthony's, it's called. Right, that's a great place too. But outside of that place, everything's kind of middling there. I think. I wonder also, you know, as far as downtown Grand coming onto the scene, uh, adding a bunch of new restaurants at once to downtown. Right, I mean, there were some places that were are part of that that sort of complex that were already existing, like Triple George, and I know Ma Bar is sort of moved slash hybridized or whatever, and Pizza Rock. But they added a bunch of new restaurants inside the facility too. Um, any any uh, idea about how, how they're doing, if those places have, have found their sea legs and are, are worth checking out, or are, or is the jury uh, still still out on that one? I think the jury's still out, uh, but I think – I think it's going to get interesting at downtown Grand food-wise. Um, they've definitely proven that they are, you know, management there is very uh, very flexible, very agile, let's say. They've already made some changes right. to, their, uh, to their dining stuff. Uh, most notably, they just stole a, a chef named Todd Harrington. He was at a, a Caesars Palace restaurant, Central. Mm-hmm. And he is the uh, basically the executive chef for the entire downtown Grand Resort. So he is in the process of like overhauling all the menus and making sure that when you get a burger at the Stewart and Ogden coffee shop that it's a, a good burger and not a frozen patty, which it probably <laughs> was before. Um, and then, you know, this place has only been open since like, right. November and right. they're already making these wholesale changes to their restaurants so it's interesting because you know and, and at least the, the sort of the legend is like the steve Wynn legend right walking through a property like a week before it opens seeing something he doesn't like and having it ripped out and redone in breakneck speed to fix something right and obviously seth shore and his his compadres are sort of from that win school, and it does seem like they have been quick to address some of these problems, which is to their credit. Because um, I definitely heard some bad stories uh, right after the opening in terms of some of the food experiences, Stuart and Ogden especially. 
Um, so it is interesting, and I would say, you know, encouraging that they are willing to jump on stuff and try and mix it up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you don't want to mess around with food. Other, uh, maybe there's other aspects of a new casino that you're like, no, let's give this, let's give this another month or, or a couple of months and see how it pans out, and then maybe we'll move those machines over there or whatever. I don't know. That's not my area of expertise. But food, you don't want to – if there's anything wrong, you got to jump on it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wonder about downtown is sort of the, the split of, uh, of the visitor, right? I mean you've got this sort of traditional downtown customer, which maybe trends a little bit older, um, maybe a little bit more value conscious. And then you've got this new influx of like, for lack of a better term, like hipsters. You know, there's the Zappos employees and people that are venturing off East Fremont to the other side to get food and whatnot. It's serving two pretty, at least two groups that sound pretty different to me. It sounds like sort of a tough gig. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've tried to look at that and tried to measure somehow, you know, the East Fremont side where all the bars are. Is very local, locals oriented, uh, and then of course Fremont Street is the opposite of that. I don't know. In talking to some people uh, down there, I'm told that there's a lot of crossover that that the uh, the local hipsters make their way across Las Vegas Boulevard and wander around under the Fremont Street experience, and, and vice versa. The tourists go over and check out Insert Coins or the other bars over there. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really see that happening, but uh, they seem to think that it is happening. And I, I think with uh, when the when the Slotzilla zip line right. is all the way up and running, then the entirety of Fremont Street is going to be a, a different experience. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Definitely going to pull people down in that direction, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah. If we uh, if we zoom over to the strip. For a minute, I mean, obviously, strip dining is uh, quite an expansive topic. But um, I, you know, I've got some random sort of random stuff I wanted to run by you, um, and I, I kind of hate the sort of best and worst kind of questions because you know it's there's a lot of nuance in there, right? Best for what circumstances? But right, right. What's the best restaurant on the strip? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at best and worst either. I'm actually my wife uh, is always. Uh, telling me that I'm terrible at recommending restaurants, <laughs> which seems like it's such an integral thing for me to do, right? But uh, I'm always kind of – I always kind of blank when somebody says, where should I go eat or whatever? Because there's so many options. Right. I feel like I need a little bit more criteria, you know? So I guess if you're – you know, as much as you may or may not head, head to the strip to eat, are there places you find yourself gravitating towards for whatever reasons? And if so – you know, what are those spots? Yeah, there are. Um, when I'm, you know, if I'm going to the strip just because I want to go eat somewhere, I tend to hover around the, uh, the uh, city center Cosmo Bellagio area or the, uh, or the Wynn, Wynn Venetian area. Those are my, those are my hot spots. Uh, but certainly there are, you know, worthwhile venues in almost every casino. Um, I'm really, I'm a really big fan of, uh, just in terms of like casinos that have great overall restaurants. I'm a really big fan of Aria. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of overlooked. Um, when it opened, their restaurants were good and, and they're, they're just as solid now, if not, if not better. 
Uh, Any particular spot inside Aria that you really like? Um, John George is is one of my favorite steakhouses. Yeah. I would say probably John George and, and uh, Wolfgang Puck's Cut at Palazzo are my two favorite steakhouses on the Strip. Um, Sirio also is is kind of an overlooked Italian yeah. restaurant. And I know they have a new chef there now too, so they're maybe they're in a little bit of a transition. But uh, that's a great place, especially especially because. Uh, Italian food on the strip tends to be skewing more towards uh, casual mm-hmm. kind of classic red sauce Italian American stuff, which uh-huh. is which is good and everybody loves that. But it's nice to have the uh, maybe more authentic and more creative option there. And Sirio's uh, been a place to be able to do that. And then um, uh, downstairs at Aria Sage, definitely one of my favorite restaurants. Yeah, uh, and uh, Julian Serrano is great and uh you know you can go there without blowing your wad right i mean that that's the problem with a lot of strip restaurants is you know i mean this is not news to anyone but they're not cheap right especially if you uh if you're on a vacation for you know one one weekend once a year then you know that's one thing but if you're uh, living in town or visit frequently uh you can rack up quite a uh, a food bill if you're uh, sampling this stuff on a regular basis yeah, yeah. I'm kind of. I feel like I'm kind of skewed because I do eat on the strip uh, often, and, and probably way more than uh, my fellow Las Vegas locals. Uh, so I forget sometimes that uh, you know these are meals that the average person kind of saves up for throughout the year, so that they can really go nuts when they come to town. Right. Um, you mentioned Cosmopolitan, and I mean, I you know, of course. Go zooming back to when it opened. Um, they got a lot of positive press around the restaurants they were bringing in to the to the mix. I mean, there was some interesting new chefs and restaurateurs that were new to Las Vegas. Um, how do you feel like they've they have done over? You know, we now a few years into this experiment. How how have they done? Are are they living up to people's expectations? Is it uh, going to continue to be a place that people think of as a great food spot? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that mo- all, almost all their restaurants, all their restaurants, really holding up well, um, still seem to be popular. Um, some of the restaurants that were maybe a little less famous upon opening have kind of come into their own and have developed their own following. Uh, a good example of that would be Comme Sa, the French yeah. bistro by uh, Chef David Myers uh, from Los Angeles. That place was kind of like nobody cared about that when it, when Cosmo first opened. They were much more excited about Jose Andres restaurants or right. Scott Conant's restaurants. Uh, Comsa has really – that's another one of my favorites on the Strip just overall. Um, they do the, the classic bistro fare really well. They do some – a little bit more kind of boundary-pushing food well. Uh, it's an impressive spot and I think people, people are uh, – Kind of uh, digging a little bit deeper, maybe when they when they come into town and or if they're staying there and they want to check out check out every place. Yeah, um, the buffet also seems to be doing well still. The Wicked Spoon seems to continue to be popular, so they're holding it pretty well. But what's it been four years now or three yeah. years? Uh, yeah, twenty ten, I think, right? Or was it twenty eleven? I can't remember, but it's somewhere in there. Yeah, I think two thousand ten, December. So it's it might be time, and this goes for Aria too. Probably it might be time for some sort of refreshment, if not 
uh, restaurant-wise than, than maybe something new. Cosmo did just bring on the the Rose Rabbit Lie experience. Right. Uh, I have not been there yet. I have heard it's insane. I've heard uh, that too. But uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of scared to go eat there. I don't know <laughs> if I want to. Uh, I just want to go eat. You know, I don't know. Right, you're <laughs> not looking for an experience. Yeah, I don't know if is there see a donkey show while I'm eating. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on over there. Speaking of what frightens you, <laughs> uh, I have a two-parter here. Uh, it's something that I can't necessarily do uh, is eat everything. Some things freak me out. Mm-hmm. What won't you eat and where won't you eat? Uh, those are great questions. Um, there's, not, there's not really anything that I won't eat. I've, I've I've eaten some stuff that I never would have thought I would try in a million years, and uh, enjoyed some of it, and, and other stuff not so much. Um, I can't think of anything that I won't try. You know, you know what I probably won't do is uh, eat massive quantities just to eat massive quantities. I've done that, and uh, that never seems to go well. And also, so a lot of places. Not a lot, but some places will have some sort of like silly food challenge where like this is the spiciest thing. Ever. Like that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't. Uh, but in terms of just like type of food or something, I, I can't think of anything. Place, um, restaurant you won't go back to? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble, Chuck. Nobody listens to this. <laughs> the only people who listen to this are the people who it's okay. <laughs> um, I haven't – nothing jumps to mind in terms of like uh, it made me sick or it was just terrible. There's a lot of really kind of middling, just boring, right. boring places that I don't want to go back to. Um, you know what? I I don't want to go back to Gordon Ramsay Pub. Oh, I agree. Yeah, we didn't that like was, that either. That we, was, all ate, we all ate there together actually. <laughs> yeah. That was one of my more disappointing uh, experiences. Uh just because, you know, the steak, the Ramsey Steakhouse at Paris is excellent. Phenomenal. And uh, you would think that uh, Gordon Ramsey would uh, do some killer pub food, but it just seemed kind of flavorless overall. And totally. You know, I I am compelled if I go somewhere like that and and have a less than great experience to go back and give it another chance and. Uh, you know, two chances is all you get, really. Yeah. Yeah. So that place I don't want to go to, but um, um, the new Mario Batali Burger place it was also underwhelming. Not a home run. I mean, the food is good, the burgers are good, but the extra stuff is not so great, and I mean, there's just so many places to get burgers now. That's the you know actually I wanted to ask you about that sort of the food the food trends right. All of a sudden, you know, one burger place, whether it's Burger Bar or whoever you give credit to as being like the originator, opens up. They see some success. Now everybody's got to have one, right? <laughs> you see pizza. Like Cosmo does secret pizza. Now like everybody has their pizza place that they're doing and they're all doing their own version of it. Like wh- what is up with that? I mean I know what's up with that, but like it seems it seems kind of lame that um, it's all just about copying. It's like Hollywood blockbuster syndrome. It's like uh, anytime anything works, we're just going to do it a thousand, a thousand X and burn it out and then move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this, I feel like what you just said, like everybody says that. Like how many of these burger joints do we need to have? But everybody goes to these burger joints. Right. I don't understand. I don't is, – is this – I mean I live here so maybe I'm warped. But are people coming to Las Vegas going, I can't wait to go to Vegas so I can eat a hamburger? <laughs> well, I, for some – the cult of In-N-Out, I think some people do that. But Well, you know, th- there's a difference though because uh, in a lot of places they don't – they don't uh, have restaurants that serve gourmet hamburgers. We're not talking right. about just like a McDonald's or a Burger King but – you know, something where you get it real thick, you know, super rare with a mm-hmm. nice fluffy bun and this kind of – and all the other types of add-ons and whatnot that like, come with it. Like a Tim Dressen egg. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm – like you guys are going to get New Mommy Burger uh, when, uh, when SLS opens. You know, that mm-hmm. was kind of like a sort of a revolutionary thing here. Because uh, there was this place that was making these very delicious, very different kind of burgers. It's not like a steakhouse burger or a uh, a fast food burger. It's kind of it's got a little bit more uh, delicate and craft to it. So right. I, I can think, see why people would would want to go check that out. I think it's interesting good- too. Like I think of the strip almost ends up sort of like Mike. If you compare it to weather, like microclimates, like there isn't one strip. There's like eight. And people sort of stay in their little orbit, and they don't go outside of it. And that's why there can be, like, ten Sephoras all within, you know, three blocks of each other. Because they all serve their sort of little mini group of people that only only exist within the certain radius of the hotel they're staying in. And so it's like, oh, we went to the nice burger place that was ten feet from our hotel, not the one that was a hundred feet from our, from our hotel. And it seems to work. It doesn't sound like it would, but it does seem to work. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And even uh, going back to uh, Batali's new burger joint, you know, I go there and I'm like, oh, it's another celebrity chef burger place. And I eat the burger and it's great. And, you know, it's better. And I think I wrote this. It's it's better than most burgers you're going to get. It might just be another place on the strip if you're on the strip all the time. But like you guys are saying, it's still going to be uh, one of the better burgers you're going to have. Um <laughs> So the local, the local Vegas version of Umami Burger, just for you tourist folk. Thank you. Is a place called Bocce Burger. Right. And there's, there's two of them and they're off strip. Uh, again, there's one on the east and one on the west. Uh, the one on the east side is probably pretty close to the strip, maybe 10, 15 minutes. But uh, that place is excellent. We love that place. Everybody loves that place. So as far as just burger joint goes – that's my favorite burger joint. Um, but there's good stuff on the strip too. And Bobby Flay just opened a burger place right. a week ago or something like that. I haven't gone there yet, but I like it already for a couple of reasons. One, it's literally right on the strip. Right. Um, so it's going to catch the pedestrian flow, which uh, there's only a couple other places that do that. You know, there's a, there's a place at the fashion show mall strip burger and then there's like a fat burger right across the street from city center but also uh at at bobby's burger palace you go in there (laughs) you go through the line and you order and then you go sit down which is to me more that's just what a kind of more of a burger experience versus sit down this is a this is a restaurant where you're gonna have a waiter you know that yeah for some for some reason that's a little more 
that's a little too fancy for me anyway. Yeah. So I think that place will do well. Um, uh, you know, a question that I get all the time from people is, you know, they're planning their vacation and they have maybe budgeted it out like one nice dinner, but they're trying to fill the rest of their food slots with stuff that isn't like McDonald's food court situation, but isn't going to totally destroy them financially. And I know that you said before that money means nothing to you and you don't care at all about what things cost. <laughs> but um, I'm just curious. You Did know, I say that? Is yeah, that of saying? course. Of course. It's exactly what you said. I <laughs> play the tape back. Um, uh, in terms of just sort of stuff that's not super expensive but is solid, any off-the-cuff recommendations? I know I'm sort of putting you on the spot and I didn't warn you about this. But uh, anything come to mind immediately? Uh, that you might throw out as uh, you know, solid spots for people to try that aren't uh, a jillion dollars. Well, I mean, that's you want to talk about trends. I mean, that has been the the most the biggest trend of the last couple of years is uh, finding finding venues a lot of, in a lot of cases for celebrity chefs or for fine dining chefs to kind of flex their casual dining right. muscles and and try to do that. Um, of course, the prices still are are higher than your right, right, right. than your average pub, but uh, uh, but now it seems that most most of the big casinos have a few options. You know, I remember when you couldn't go, you couldn't find very many places to go to lunch, right? Anyway. right. Um, but yeah, I, maybe you just got to look a little deeper to find them. Julian Serrano again at Aria is a great mm-hmm. is a great place to do that. Um, also at Aria, kind of hidden, there's a Thai restaurant called Lemongrass. Yeah, is that good? I've never been there. It's really good. It's it's one of the best. And, and Vegas is pretty strong in terms of Thai food in general. And it's it's definitely one of the best uh, in Las Vegas. And it's also a lunch and dinner place. Um, at Caesars, I really love Beijing Noodle Number no. 9 still. It's uh-huh. one of the best kind of easy Chinese restaurants. Uh, and that can get a little more... Spendy if you want it to. Right. Of course, the secret pizza at Cosmopolitan uh, is still the uh, trendsetter in terms of grabbing a slice. Across the street now at Planet Hollywood, they just opened a, a place called Pinup Pizza. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's right next door to Pink's Hot Dogs. And um, they have 15-inch pizza slices there. Yikes. That's, so that's, that's like three three pieces of pizza yeah, that's at once. No joke. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. It's worth a it's worth a shot, and it's not you know, it's not too expensive considering how big it is. Right. I think it's like six or seven bucks a slice. Um. So yeah, it's uh, that that kind of stuff is growing. There's yeah. there's more options. Um, Las Vegas is obviously famous for the all you can eat buffet, uh, and we've seen as. Places have opened uh, sort of new twists on that, right? I mean, if you go as far back as Bellagio, they went real upscale and I think proved that that worked. And since then, we've seen places like Caesar's Palace and Cosmopolitan and um, Aladdin slash Planet Hollywood and others do that with success. But is the buffet an institution that should survive in Las Vegas casinos? Is this something that's worthy of Las Vegas in the 21st century or is this something that should fade away? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't mind if it faded away a little bit. Um, last year, I 
thought it would be a really fun and entertaining story if I embarked on the buffet of buffets. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the uh, the Caesar's deal where you get uh, basically access to six buffets for 24 hours for one price. And then, of course, you can spend a little bit more and upgrade and go to eight buffets. So that's what <laughs> I did. I went to eight buffets in one day. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, about about – Three buffets in, I kind of forgot why I thought it would be cool. I, I, I think, if memory serves, I think I was trying to answer the question of whether or not buffet food has like improved right. over the years because we hear so much about these, these big new buffets and they're so huge and there's all these cooking stations and the food is just like any other gourmet restaurant and, and overall that's just not true. Right, of course it not. Just, it hasn't improved that much, but yeah, the Bacchanal at Caesars is great. Very expensive, but great. Uh, the Wicked Spoon we mentioned already is is another good one. Um, actually, Planet Hollywood's buffet wasn't bad, um, but I don't know. I just I don't know. I think the reason people like buffets is because of the variety more than the volume. Yeah, or at least. <laughs> At least I hope. I hope that's why. That might be a little too positive of an outlook. <laughs> have you seen some of the people that go to these places? I, I have. I've seen a lot of people in eight different buffets in twelve hours. Did uh, you? Um, I don't. I don't want to get too personal, but did that day end well? Um, no, no. <laughs> I mean, nothing violent occurred. Yikes! But. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was rough. It was a rough day. It I sound, mean, it was, sounds like it, it was, a, it was difficult emotionally also. <laughs> I, I was walking, uh, so basically I started at Caesars for breakfast and then crossed the street and just made the trip down. And uh, as I was walking back to get to my car at Caesars Palace and drive over to the Rio for, for two dinners. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, I'm walking. I'm walking down the strip over all these overpasses, uh, pedestrian overpasses, and uh, you know, there's there's guys panhandling out there uh, who may or may not be homeless and may or may not be starving. And here I am, right, trying to see how much decent to good food I can fit inside myself. <laughs> so that's you know that that messed with my head. That made yeah. the experience a little weird, also. Yeah, I, I believe. No, I believe you. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna tell Sarah Felberg you need hazard pay to, uh, to retroactively because that just sounds pretty horrible to me. Yeah, she shouldn't have let me do that. She should have stopped me from doing that. Um, let's see. I've got a bunch of other stuff here. It's sort of all over the place. But uh, we mentioned SLS before. SLS is coming, right? It's the the next big thing, more or less. I mean, I guess the, I don't know if you consider the link to be a big thing. It's got some restaurants, but re- SLS is really like you know. What's uh, what's coming next? I think, and part of SLS's whole thing is food and beverage, because that's like SBE was a food and beverage company long before they were a hospitality company. So um, they're going to bring in a bunch of new brands. Chuck, you mentioned Umami, and they've got a bunch of other stuff. And I know that uh, we've talked about this, and um, people have written about this. Are you excited about SLS's food offerings? I mean, I know, Chuck, you've probably tried maybe everything they've got in the L.A. versions. I haven't personally, so I don't have good experience with this stuff. But, Brock, I mean, is SLS uh, something you're excited about? I'm excited about it food-wise. 
because this stuff is new to me. I'm what I'm wondering is how new is it going to feel, considering that all this stuff is in LA and we have so many, you know, Southern California feeds this trip uh, so so strongly. Is this is this are these dining options going to feel fresh and new to the average visitor who may have had these experiences already somewhere else? But uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for the bazaar. Yeah, um, I haven't. Uh, I don't get over to LA as much as I should, and uh, have not been there. The um, mommy burger is going to be fun, I'm sure. And um, I don't know much about this. Uh, I don't know much about the Griddle Cafe. I did uh, talk to the owner of that place, uh, but that sounds like it's going to be uh, that. That place sounds like it's kind of tailor made for Vegas, like insane breakfast creations right you know that's Chuck, perfect uh, since you have been in some of these places this is probably a good opportunity like what what should we be excited about when it comes to sls food oh by far it's bizarre it's bizarre it's uh you know uh, i went to bizarre before i went to uh any of the uh, Jose Andres places at Cosmopolitan and Bazaar is molecular food for the masses. He really takes different types of, of dishes you know and reinvents them in small bite-sized tapas ways. Uh, incredibly, incredibly creative, uh, delicious. Um, it's the kind of meal where you every time you take a bite, you're like, that was incredible. You know, and that... Uh, that that kind of experience, I've been back multiple times, and it's uh, it's. I, th- I think I went there with Mike and John and uh, Blackjacker, uh, all the VT staff guys. We went there together, but separately, um, and all of us were pretty pretty blown away by that. And I didn't feel that way about any of the other uh, of his places at Cosmopolitan. So hmm. for me, I think that when that goes there, it's gonna it's a panty dropper. Yeah, I I'm a fan of his. He's uh you know, Gina Poblamo. I love. Uh, I go there every time I have a chance. I'm, I love tacos anyway, but it's just so good. So I'm definitely looking forward to to trying that uh, and seeing how it goes. We've been on this show somewhat skeptical slash critical of SLS in the past, but uh, you know this this ship is definitely uh, leaving the pad here pretty soon, and so um, I'm curious to see how it goes. Maybe I'll run into Lenny Kravitz when I'm there. <laughs> um, something else, Hunter, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get to SLS, and I think this is a, a worthy point to discuss, is uh, Giada's. Yeah, right. This is uh, kind of confusing to me. This is a television presenter, host, uh, who's like a home cook on TV at least. I don't know if she actually has restaurant experience except in her family. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm pretty curious to know what what, uh, what Brock's expectations are possibly for this. Is this – is she just the name and the face on the place, going to show up once in a while and have a, uh, you know, a qualified executive chef run the show or is this going to be a separate vision? She has no other restaurants. Right. Yeah, this is her first restaurant which uh – Seems kind of surprising given her kind of food empire that she runs through TV shows and cookbooks and, uh, you know, she's she's like a lifestyle brand practically. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is another kind of mini trend happening right now. We already got the Cake Boss has opened yeah. a, an Italian restaurant uh, at Venetian, and uh, very shortly we'll have uh, a Guy Fieri restaurant. Although he he does have other restaurants, of course, besides his uh, New York Times reviewed. <laughs> right, right. I I uh, I don't think I'm going to write. A review of all questions of that place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess you don't have to be a chef uh, exactly, literally, to uh, to be a celebrity chef these yeah. days. And uh, certainly if you are famous enough, then you're famous enough to get a Las Vegas restaurant. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that Giada's restaurant is among the most anticipated uh, on this trip this year, there's just too many other uh, big big things coming, but uh, we'll see. It yeah. certainly opens the door for the possibility of a <laughs> Rachel Ray pizzeria and a <laughs> and a Martha Stewart pumpkin pie <laughs> stand. <laughs> I definitely go to the latter. I don't know about the former. Maybe maybe the Martha Stewart pumpkin pie. Stand will be in the Grand Bazaar at Bally's. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Shanty Town! Yes, she would fit right in in the Shanty Town. She'd make it look nice. She'd decorate it. She was. Certain- She'd put up curtains. <laughs> it'll be it'll be right across from the uh, the Paula Deen comeback kiosk. Oh, right. uh, yeah, exactly. Um, the link, you know, the link, uh, especially as it was originally conceived and as it's sort of ending up to be. You know, really is got a strong food and beverage emphasis. Um, anything exciting happening in Linkland? Um, not yet. Food wise, we're waiting for. So so far, there is a, a Mexican restaurant called Chayo, right? And there is a little hot dog stand called the Hot Doggery. Uh, I did go there and have a hot dog with foie gras on it. That ah. was pretty tasty. But. Um, as far as food goes at the link, the big, the big one is uh, Brooklyn Bowl, and that's going to be the big, the biggest part of the link in every respect. It, I think it takes up two thirds of the space there, or something like that, and it's going to be a, you know, an entertainment venue, right. bowling alley, and all this stuff. So, and, and the food is by the Bromberg brothers, who are doing uh, Blue Ribbon at the Cosmo already. Right. So that's the heavy hitter food wise, and that's supposed to be open in. Uh, Mid-March, I believe. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have a question about uh, influences, especially, you know, we've seen, if you look at gaming, right, you saw Las Vegas companies go to Macau and then Singapore throughout the 2000s, uh, which had a huge impact on their businesses, um, not just financially, but in terms of how they designed casinos, in terms of the kinds of things they offered to their customers. Um, how, if if at all... Has this had an impact on Las Vegas Strip dining? I mean, the fact that uh, Wynn Resorts, uh, Las Vegas Sands, to a lesser degree, MGM, are are now making boatloads of money in Macau and in Singapore and imp- presumably importing those customers. Is that changing some of the food offerings that they're – as far as you can tell? Um, I don't think so. I don't see any direct – relationship unless I'm just missing something business wise um, maybe Dave would have be able to speak to that more than me but um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, you know, at Win, a lot of people have said that they've taken the focus off dining in right. recent years since since uh, they closed Alex Strada's restaurant. Um, but you could also make an argument that they're just making adjustments as any casino is making adjustments, less less fine dining options, more uh, more kind of uh, options at different price tiers and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, Do don't, you, I don't know. I, yeah, speaking about that, um, you know, that was when at the time it occurred when they announced that they were closing Alex. You know, they basically tried to sell a line that people weren't interested in that kind of experience anymore. But we see um, some of its competitors continue to thrive, right? I mean, there are still some uber high-end French restaurants that do quite well on the Strip, uh, and they're still around. So what is the, so what's your take on that whole thing? Why couldn't or didn't win folks want to make that work? I don't know. You know, that's a it's kind of mysterious to me because it's not like Wynn has gone away. It's not like they don't have that uh top level experience. They still have uh Bartolota there and that's a very expensive and, and excellent restaurant. I actually talked to Alex Strada a little while ago. He's back in Las Vegas full time now and uh we didn't really talk about uh the Wynn stuff too much and I don't think he would kind of go into that topic anyway because uh it's still a good relationship for right. him, and uh, you know he's hoping to uh, right Do more. kind of be big in Vegas, be big in Vegas again, even though it might not be on the strip. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think everybody thinks that that was a pretty big loss right. for the fine dining scene. But like you said, I mean, there's always going to be demand for that kind of experience. There's always going to be rich people, and uh, you know, European and Asian visitors who are coming to Las Vegas specifically to have these super memorable gastronomic experiences. And, uh, we've, uh, we've definitely got the goods still. Yeah. I, it's just such, it was a weird thing. Cause you know, it sounded like, I mean, they may have had great reasons, but it didn't sound like the reasons were the reasons that they explained to everybody else. At least if you look at the other people that have had, or, you know, I guess it's it's hard to tell how successful some of these places are. I mean, they're still open, right? Mm-hmm. So it's possible that Guy Savoie is empty, you know, five nights a week or something, uh, and Caesars wants it for the name on the door. But, I mean, it seems like they're doing okay. I mean, these are, you know, they have these places have to make money to survive, at least theoretically. Um, so, yeah, it was always it always seems strange just because it didn't seem like the, the reality of the market jived with their explanation. Yeah. I think I think there's a story there. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I I agree. What, what I found fishy about that announcement <clears throat> is that there's sort of said that uh, that the interest in fine dining was was ebbing, but in reality, the fashion the fast the public fascination with food was a wave that had yet to crest. It was still building and building and building between all the stuff on TV and, you know, people know more about food and dining and ingredients than they ever have before. Common people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they, I think they made a, an error in judgment. A little time, yeah. timing malfunction. Yeah, it was something else. I'm sure it was cost cutting because this is in the time that that uh, they started slashing a lot of stuff over at Win. So. I, it, 
Yeah. Probably had to do with money. Mm-hmm. Speaking of when, uh, Andreas, Vibe Dining, um, two words I never wanted to have go together. <laughs> uh, w- your thoughts on the idea of a musical DJ or whatever the hell they call him. The, uh, you know, the music, the food, whatever the hell they fucking call it. The musical guy. chef. The musical musical chef, chef. Musical yes. chef. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was kind of quick to, to poke fun at that place when the concept first arrived. And, uh, yeah, I didn't want anything to do with that place either. <laughs> but I have to say, uh, it's pretty good. Food wise, it's, it's really good. Um, they did a great, they, they had a great idea to bring in, uh, the chef Joe Elevato, who's got a lot of experience, used to be a, a Nobu guy and, and killed it for years at Social House at Treasure Island when that place was super popular. And uh, he's a great guy and uh, his food's really good and he does a lot more interesting things there than uh, I would have thought. I thought it was just going to be you know a bunch of sushi rolls and uh, maybe a, a hot rock for you to cook your cook your little strips of beef on and, I, and, they, and they do have those things but uh he's doing some other stuff there too so and you know they played they downplayed that whole musical chef thing like as soon as the place opened yeah one they of those, like no we don't want to talk about that let's talk more about the food so one of those ideas that sounded good on paper <laughs> and immediately was like uh yeah no i don't know did it sound good on paper well it's, not to me but you know <laughs> The whole, I mean, that what was in that space before? Magical walls that changed and like people in changing uniforms. I mean, you know. That, that was a, Switch was a place also that I went to and didn't want to return to. I remember eating at Switch and I thought the yeah. food was okay, but the, the concept was pretty hokey. Yeah. yeah. It's, such a, it's such a win concept. You know, it's yeah. something like the the Broadway show he was going to produce. I think it's it's like Treasure it's Island such, win, not win, it is, win. yeah. <laughs> which I think is it's so it's just such a unique look in, into his creative process. It's just yeah. such an idea where hey, we'll have the walls switch and everybody will switch their you know uniforms every twenty minutes. It's you know I would just love to talk about him and just say well where where is this coming from? What's the influence? Why? And it's just really interesting. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just glad it's not, all right, well, the um, hamburger place seems to be doing this kind of, you know, this many covers a night, so we'll do another hamburger place. Uh, I, I'm all for taking chances and experimenting, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was a little bit hokey, I gotta say. Um. Uh, you know, I, people love stories about just crazy stuff and I'm sure that, you know, uh, you've had some experiences, uh, you look at, maybe it's like sort of restaurants within the restaurants, like the E place, uh, that Jose Andres does, or I'm sure that there are other examples of that, just whether it's something exclusive or just something super weird. I'm sure you've had some crazy uh, food experiences in all your time covering this stuff. Does anything come to mind that is worth uh, relaying? Someone just asked me the other day. Somebody was like tweeting at me like, what, what is the weirdest food I can have in Vegas? And there's not – if you want to get real weird, you got to get off the strip, like go to Chinatown and then you'll eat some stuff that will – I don't you know, you might not like it, but it's going to be weird. <laughs> on the strip, you know, you can only get so weird. Right. Probably the most, the most weird, good food experience I can remember was at Twist yeah. at Mandarin Oriental. Um, 
last year I got a chance to go there and uh, go through their whole, you know, they change their entire menu every season. Uh, and uh, there was one dish that was, uh, I mean, I guess it was a foie gras dish, but it was really just like a little creamy swirl of foie gras. And it was served with three different savory ice creams. Hmm. And uh, one of them was bacon artichoke ice cream. Wow. And it was delicious, but I was shocked because I could actually taste, you know, bacon, right? Bacon right. overpowers everything. But you could taste fresh artichoke huh. in this ice cream, and it was just kind of mind-blowing. That's one talented chef. And uh, also I was, you know, a, a, as many of my kind of memorable dining experiences go, Robin Leach is there. <laughs> that, that just happens. That just happens. <laughs> so He's everywhere. Uh, you know, that makes bacon, bacon and Aww. artichoke ice cream taste that much sweeter when you're when you're staring across the table at Mr. Leach. Oh dear, <laughs> oh, oh dear. Um, yeah, you, take from that yeah. sarcasm if you want. <laughs> oh, I will. Um, you have <clears throat> talked a couple, touched a couple times on off strip dining, but you know, obviously, with Las Vegas being the tourist destination that it is, the strip and to a lesser degree downtown get you know ninety five percent of the attention. But there are other other spots. I mean, there are some famous spots, Lotus Siam or whatever. But there, are, I'm sure, a lot of less famous spots that are good. And a lot of people listen to the show, go to Las Vegas often, and would be interested to try something different. Um, anything that you would throw out there uh, that they should take a look at? Well. Um really driving down driving west on Spring Mountain Road is going to be your best bet um the Las Vegas Chinatown district which pretty much runs on Spring Mountain out to Rainbow which is quite a ways uh is really diversified and kind of blossomed in the last few years and um i, I think most people know about Raku the yep. Japanese right. yep. izakaya that's uh along that stretch but um that was just kind of the jumping off point. There's a lot of other good stuff over there. And, and, and not just not just Chinese, of course, uh, Vietnamese and Korean food and Thai food. And uh, and, and most everything is uh, inexpensive. So, um, yeah, just, just roll down that street and see what is out there. Some of my favorites uh, are uh, there's a Thai restaurant called Chada Thai. It's uh, it's a little further out west. It's off of Jones in Spring Mountain. And this was started by a young guy who was the wine manager at Lotus of Siam and, ah. and helped build that place into, uh, you know, helped give it the reputation that it has. And he opened his own restaurant and it's fantastic. And uh, kind of a small boutique vibe, very popular late night place. A lot of chefs like to go to that place hmm. when they get done on working on the strip. Right. Um, but yeah, there's just there's just a lot of a lot of fun stuff out there to explore. Uh, probably the off strip restaurant that has uh, like the buzziest in the last year or so is Honey Salt. Hmm. Um, this is Elizabeth Blau's right. restaurant. Mm -hmm. Her and her husband uh, Kim Cantonwala, who was most recently at uh, Society Cafe at Encore. Right. Um, this is their family restaurant and it's not the food there is not like super exciting or, or anything wildly experimental it's just a really solid american restaurant it's kind of, it's a lot like society actually 
uh, but a little more warm and homey. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's way out in Summerlin. Uh, so kind of a haul from the strip. Uh, but, uh, it's definitely, uh, pleasing all the locals. Very cool. Uh, so I am out of food-related questions. I don't know if my co-hosts have anything else they want to throw in. I have two other random topics uh, to hit before we sign off. Um, so if we have any I other food stuff, then let it rip. Yeah, I got one. What kind of food do you wish you had there that you don't now? Uh, that's a good question. What's missing? <sighs> Barbecue. Yeah. Barbecue. I don't understand why we don't have good barbecue in Las Vegas. You know, we're in the Southwest. Why can't we have – it's not like you can't – you can make great barbecue anywhere. And, and you know, there seems to be this demand for casual, comfortable food. Right. And yet there's no place doing it well at all. Uh, certainly not on the Strip and nobody even seems interested in on the Strip and, and making like a – classic barbecue joint but to me you know you put that in the right casino it should do well now it obviously didn't work at uh excalibur <laughs> right. maybe you shouldn't uh maybe leonard skinner is what, not the what does work country's at foremost name in barbecue <laughs> no toby keith right make him make some barbecue oh, right, stuff right. <laughs> so yeah i would love i would love a great barbecue joint anywhere in las vegas i think we're uh we're hurting for that yeah, that's a good one. I love barbecue. I would love a great, a really, like a really, like an, especially if they like did some interesting, like you know, serve the classics, but do some interesting stuff too. You could, man, you could do some such a cool. Ah, I love it. I love it so much. Mm, now I'm hungry. You know, people, mm-hmm. barbecue is such a regional food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people from Missouri make it different from people from Illinois. Well, you know? battle, it's battle like, it out, man. Have them battle. So, you can so, try everything. Battle. The battle royale of regional barbecue. Barbecue battle. Roof. Maybe they should open a barbecue restaurant casino that only has eight <laughs> different type barbecue restaurants. You have Chinese barbecue. <laughs> okay, Bob Stupak. <laughs> that's me. Uh, oh, that's good. I like that question. Um, all right, Dave, any other food stuff you want to hit before we go on to our other two topics? And, of course, Brock, you're going to stay with us. You can give us your expertise on these if you're interested. Um, and, of course, if we think of anything else, we can hit it back before we sign off. But I, I just wanted to touch on two things real fast because they've been in the news. Uh, one is um, Las Vegas Sands websites got hacked and basically taken down. Uh, and as far as I know, as we record this on, on, the, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, they are still down. Um, apparently if, if you look at what was posted, uh, you know, it, it would imply that the hackers, uh, took object, objected to what Las Vegas Sands chairman Sheldon Adelson said, uh, a few months ago, referencing, um, his friends in Iran and nuking them. Uh, apparently that was at least, well, at least you never know with these folks, but perhaps the impetus for this action. Um, but it sounds like they did some significant damage because the sites are still offline, which to me suggests that either the folks at Las Vegas Sands are, are not exactly sure how they got in or aren't exactly sure how deep they went and don't know how far back in their backups they have to go to make this, to fix this stuff, which is, uh, you know, concerning. And we've heard from... I believe uh, the folks in gaming control that uh, customer credit card information was not 
uh, part of this attack. So that's that's good news. But it's this is interesting. This is a significant attack to their uh, online stuff worldwide. Um, based off of you know his you know he's a relatively outspoken individual and uh, but he's not the only one. Um, for on various different causes to see this happen. Dave, any precedent for this kind of thing in the gaming industry? Well, Affinity Gaming, which used to be Herbst Gaming, did get their um, pl- their uh, credit card data supposedly got hacked a couple of months ago. So there, there is some. You know, I would say it's just with the other um, companies getting hacked and other organizations and news organizations and things like that. Um, it's pretty, you know pretty bad for you know the uh cage cashier at sans bethlehem who suddenly has a social security number up in the internet right so yeah i'm uh i'm pretty disturbed by this no it's uh it's it's a serious thing that definitely um disruptive interesting to see what ends up happening uh people online i've been speculating about how this occurred who knows right well maybe probably never really know uh these kinds of cases are very tough to to tackle but um, interesting that it's been this long and they're still offline, which suggests that it's a, a relatively significant breach. Um, beyond that, the, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was talking about online gaming. You know, we, we've talked about it on this show in the past, but uh, we had an interesting development in that um, we saw Wind Resorts, a company that in the past has applied for online the ability to do online gaming um in uh jurisdictions like i believe new jersey uh they which would imply that they're interested in such a thing uh we heard from uh Wind resorts chairman steve Wynn that he is now against online gaming which of course this has been um sheldon adelson's big thing that online gaming is evil and terrible but now we see w- apparently change in uh, in direction for for Wind Resorts, which is interesting, and it's it's not exactly clear where this came from. And some people I've seen asking why 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 is the company changing their direction? And I I obviously don't know, but uh, I have a, a theory, or at least a contributing theory. It's probably these kinds of things. There's never one reason, right? It's a it's a patchwork of all kinds of different reasons. But I, I feel like they've actually already told us why, and it it goes to sort of Wind Resorts core differentiating feature, right? They are really good at building beautiful buildings and staffing them with uh, smart people that provide excellent customer service. But on in an online casino, those things aren't really differentiators. Uh, the kinds of experiences that they are able to build in their physical facilities, they can't really replicate that online or they don't know how to. So they look at this as a kind of, a, I think, a lose-lose. Um, you know, maybe they make some money, but they can't be top dog and if if they don't know how to win if they don't see a clear path to to being the digital equivalent of of win i mean they'd really be coasting on their brand alone um you know why not try and put the brakes on this thing for a little while and uh and see if they can slow it down um and stop other folks that maybe uh, would try and gain some ground i don't know i dave i'm mostly interested in if you think that theory has uh has anything behind it or whether i'm just full of crap no, I think it does, and I th- I really learned a lot from reading reading John Ralston's piece about um, he he did sit down interview with Sheldon apparently for seventy five minutes, and Sheldon talked about it, and basically Sheldon was saying something that I've been saying for a while, which is that 
Well, not exactly what I've been saying. What I've been saying for a while is that internet gaming is coming and it has the potential to be a lot more disruptive than a lot of the people in the industry think. So in other words, you know, after this all plays out, you may not see four big companies um, translating their terrestrial success into the online arena. You might have new online players right. coming up. And that was kind of Sheldon's point, which is saying, hey, what happens when Google gets into this or Facebook gets into this? And they already have, I think he said, you know, a billion visitors a day. And, you know, what does happen? So what happens when um, Google decides to buy Caesars Interactive? Right. And, uh, you know, and then have they really kind of open the door for this? You know, my view is that it's going to happen no matter what. And you should just work on diversifying your company, which is what they've done so well in every other area, every every other expansion of gaming. So that's my view. Um, But certainly he's had considerably more success at entrepreneurship than I have. So (laughs) I've got to respect his view, too. And, uh, you know, the same thing with, with Steve. They... You know, they know what they're talking about. I think the temptation for both sides is for the antis to just say, well, this is terrible and no sane person would want it. And for the pro people to say, well, no sane person would want to be against it. You know, I can understand there's a really good argument to be made against it, which I don't personally agree with, but I can understand why people would. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's true. I think reasonable people could easily disagree on this issue. Um, I do. I do look at it, though, like these entrenched companies are looking are looking at this market and saying, well, we don't have this inherent advantage that we do in our terrestrial operations. So how is it good for us? Um, and so they can use their considerable current considerable weight to slow things down. And think about uh, the scenario you mentioned where large digital players try to move into that market. What if they decide they want to go terrestrial, right? Google has huge success with an online gambling initiative and decides they're going to open a land-based casino in Las Vegas to uh, to expand that to be a complement to it. I mean, that sounds kind of crazy, but it's you never know where these things can lead sometimes. This is something that Bill Eatington actually speculated about about five years ago. I think it was back in 2009. I, he gave a... a at one of his conferences, he gave a talk about what the gaming industry would look like in 20 years, and I think he had Google as being a you know basically buying one of the one of the big four companies and kind of branding his casinos that way. Partly tongue in cheek, but I think you know it, it opened my eyes up to what might happen. Yeah, uh, with that, you know, the it's to me it's just it's just need to see how it's all shaking out. You've got some companies who really want to go ahead and move with this and might be a little bit uncertain but still want to engage and others that don't. So I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I think it's super interesting, um, and especially when you see the folks at Win who have been going one direction, uh, what seems like a pretty massive course correction in the other direction, you always got to ask sort of what happened. Well, the one really neat thing that we know from Atlantic City is that the – Biggest determinants on where people are playing seems to be the brick and mortar brand. Right. So Borgata's number one, right. Caesar's number two, and I find you know uh, I should be getting a white paper from somebody that I'm going to post on the UNLV site about this, and I'm really interested in learning more. But to me, that was just fascinating, you know. So the way it's actually shaking out does seem to legitimate what MGM and Caesars are saying in their their faith in this. That seems to be what the market's telling us. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, we'll obviously continue to talk about it. Brock, you are, as a state of Nevada, Nevada resident, you can avail yourself of online gaming. Are you on the computer every night in your pajamas playing poker? Oh, yeah, we all are. Yes. 
Everyone in the whole state. Because you live in the casinos, right? <laughs> yes. No, I'm not. Uh, I don't gamble, actually. Not at all? Not at all. Never. I never. think I've just been here. I kind of grew up here, and it yeah. just never your, did anything Not your thing. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Fair plus, enough. I don't have any money because I spend it all eating out. Doing the buffet at buffet things though seems like a little bit of a gamble. Indeed. I mean <laughs> more dice. A, a gamble you know you're gonna lose on. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh I think that's gonna be our show for today. Um Brock, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh it was been super fun. I hope that you'll come back sometime. This was great. I'm sure that um we would love to do it again. Before we leave though, we have a segment and I didn't warn you about this, so uh, I'll if you have something, great. I'll stick you at the end so you have a minute to think about it. Um and if not, that's okay too. But uh, we do a segment called Sure Bets where we get to recommend something here to the audience, something that they may we think they might be interested in. Um uh, doesn't have to be gaming related, but certainly can be if it uh, if that makes sense. Um, so I typically go around the table here and uh, query my co-hosts to see if they've got anything good. Uh, Dave, do you have anything for us today? Um, wow. Let's see. The oh, Well, I think I'm going to go with the dining theme. And the only real fine dining I've done in, in quite a while in Vegas is last night I had dinner at the El Cortez coffee shop. And it was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about as fancy as I'm I'm getting. So, uh, if you want the fried chicken, they give you four pieces. It's it's pretty nice, very very juicy, and uh, you get your choice of potato and super salad too. So pretty filling for less than nine dollars. I have eaten in there. It is very inexpensive. Yep. Jackie's burger. It didn't kill me. Yeah, I to me it's it's fine. I don't know. You know that to me that's that's uh, good food because you eat it, you're done and. You're not reminded of it afterwards. I so. the El Cortez coffee shop. It's like one of the last, one of the last real casino coffee shops. Everybody else is trying to kind of fancy up their coffee shop. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and you know the other. I was thinking about this when you were talking about <clears throat> the, you know, the two populations of downtown, and this seemed like this was pretty much zero hipsters in there. Nah, and that's yes. not why I went or not why I wouldn't go. But it's just really interesting that it seemed to be people who were legitimately going to the El Cortez mostly to gamble. How many so oxygen was, tanks, though? There were quite – there was actually two, and there was a very interesting conversation <laughs> on the table next to me about um, where – where got one guy wanted to know where. The other guy got the little flag in his scooter because he wanted to get a flag like that for his scooter and <laughs> – um, so it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a it was a very different thing, and kind of kind of nice to just uh, be able to eat a meal uh, quietly. There you go. All right, thank you, Dave. Uh, Chuck, you got anything for us? I certainly do. You know, as you mentioned before, we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Yes. So uh, my sure bet is love. I don't think it needs any uh, explanation, but the love of Whoever it is or whatever it is that you have, the power of love is pretty friggin' awesome, great thing. And it's something that's brought us all here together. Can you so. hear me rolling my eyes or is that just a visual thing? I think I did hear a couple of creaks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to say I'm going to put – I'm going to link that to the Huey Lewis song, Power of Love. Please. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Brock, you're up next. But first I'm going to throw in a quick suggestion for – I'm going to pick an app. Because I do that from time to time, pretty much every time. Um, I'm a fan of American history. Um, and Ken Burns, you know, the guy with the cheesy iMovie I, I effect, 
uh, has the documentarian dude has an app on iTunes for the iPad now, uh, which is all about American history. And it's, it's, it's actually very well done. It's, it interweaves a bunch of his stories about um, American history into sort of an a interactive timeline. Uh, it's very cool. So if you're into history and like that kind of thing, I would totally recommend it. And I'll link it up in the show notes so you can check it out if you care about such things. All right, Brock, I know we sprung this on you, but do you have anything you want to recommend? Yeah, sure. Since you asked me where I went to lunch and it was pizza, and since my in-laws are in the other room probably waiting for me to finish this so that we can (laughs) go have pizza, I'm going to recommend a pizza. And that would be the Chicago-style cracker-thin pizza at Downtown's Pizza Rock. Uh, Pizza Rock has all kinds of different regional pizzas, and this one is amazing. I'd never had a uh, thin crust Chicago-style pizza until I had this, and uh, right, it's right. great. It's huh. great. It's thin, crispy. There's cornmeal in the crust. It's just uh, great flavors, great textures. It's an amazing pie. Sounds good to me. I love pizza, so you're definitely barking up my tree. All right. Thank you so much. Um, listeners uh, in the universe, please do not forget to rate the show on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Um, if you have comments about this episode, please go to VegasGangPodcast.com and share them with us there. Or contact us on Twitter. We are at VegasGang. That is it for today. Thank you guys all for being here. I'm going to go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you. Uh, guests of honor, Mr. Brock Radke, where can people find you? Thanks a lot. Everything I'm doing is at LasVegasWeekly.com, and I'm on Twitter at Brock Radke. Fantastic. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can we find you? Uh, DGSchwartz.com will give you the keys to the kingdom to find me in all the many places I can be found. Excellent. Charles S. Monster Esquire. People can find me on top of Hunter's eyes, which have been rolled backwards, because he didn't like my Valentine's reference. God, you're such a jerk, man. Come on. Uh, I know. I know. I love you, though. I love you. Oh, uh, well. This I'll is the, get over it. This is the last episode of the Vegas Gang. <laughs> um, <laughs> people can find me at VegasMate.com. You can down my, download my app, VegasMate, on the iTunes App Store. Thank you, guys. Have a fantastic weekend. 